0: Hello and welcome to The Film File. You should know this by now, but it is the film show for film geeks, of course, by film geeks. Every week, week, just before, uh, when we start recording the show, both Andy and I sing our signature uh, intro as we're going through it. It's it's become a tradition.
1: One week... I just won't even put the intro in. I'll just have us doing the intro.
0: <laughs> Not this week's, no. Not on this week's. No. <laughs> but I was just thinking, Andy, we've got Christmas coming up. As a, I didn't know if you know. Spoiler. Um, but we've got Christmas coming up, and I think we should find a Christmas theme for our uh, our Christmas episodes. There's a challenge to us.
1: Well, I might take the theme that we've got and run some um, Jingle Bell filters through there.
0: oh, I like the idea of that.
1: Same so way wait, so wait as I did for like the, the gaming channel um videos that have done that have made made our theme an 8-bit rendition <laughs> i can do a similar kind of thing where I, I give it that little like jingly sleigh bells ching 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 in the background
0: i'm all for that andy meekin how the devil are you
1: someone asked me this the other day when i was doing one of the online gaming sessions and um, all of us, when we were asking each other how we all were, all answered the same way. And we all answered, uh, eh, you know. And I came to the conclusion there's three levels of being at this point in time. There's, uh, eh, you know, there's, meh, and there's, oh, God. That's <laughs> the only three emotions that we all feel this year. And, uh, eh, you know, is as good as we're going to get. Um, yeah.
0: It's it's, <laughs> it's odd, isn't it? It's. Um, I don't know about you, and I, I've seen the trend all over the place, over the uh, uh, since the beginning of, of, of December, the amount of people who put Christmas trees up early, yes. including us. Now, I never, ever had a Christmas tree up before kind of the week before Christmas. But we all kind of looked to each other and went, you know what? It's 2020. <laughs> the rules don't apply anymore. Let's just, let's get it up because we bought one. It's only sat in the garden getting wet. Let's just, let's get it up. And we followed trend. Um Interesting. We, we've we never done that. Absolutely never, never, never done that. But hey, I think as uh, as we all know, that's the world that we're living in right now.
1: Ideally for me, it'd be the Christmas tree would go up uh, Christmas Eve and come down on Boxing Day. Um, <laughs> but, but we've always I've always allowed the wife to pop the Christmas tree and like put the lights up on the 1st of December. I've always said until it's December, it doesn't go up. She kind of cheated this year because she was like, oh, well, the 1st of December is during the week. I want to put it up at the start of the week. So I will let her get the thirtieth of November. Yeah, that which is always going to bend on that one. It was not going up any earlier. I mean, some of our neighbours had theirs literally up on Halloween, and I think that's a bit too early.
0: I went to a place in um, in the US some years back. I was doing some filming on a documentary, um, and it was just in it was it was late November. It was really in the Midwest. It when they when they talk about about the Midwest, uh, completely out of the way. They got this drive. Uh, um, and um, I don't mean a drive in a drive up to somebody's house. A, a literal drive around the, this whole area, which was a couple of miles, which was just full of Christmas lights. It was uh, it was quite magical, and, and 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 I'd never seen anything like it. And it went on for a good couple of miles, and it was a big circular drive around, and it was just just Christmas decorations. It kind of reminded me of uh, Blackpool Illuminations, but a, a, but Christmas <laughs> themed. It was really interesting.
1: It's a, it's a huge culture over particularly Midwest America, where you see it a lot on Whenever anything's set in the Midwest, you always see the huge displays of Christmas yeah. lights. Yeah. There's the whole light. Like, every every house is trying to compete against the other houses. But it's, uh, oh yeah, for people who like that kind of thing, it's great for people who, you know, would rather Christmas would just disappear. This <laughs> is a, a hell of a month for me.
0: <laughs> We've just got to move on and just move on into, uh, into 2021. And who knows what happens then? Anybody, anybody at the back saying aliens? You never I'm, know. I'm
1: pretty sure that at the start of 2021, someone's going to work out how to press the reset button and just completely eject 2020 from our memories. Yeah,
0: <laughs> we just all woke up and it was all one big shared experience, but it was a dream. So, um, before we get into uh, the reset button, Andy, I know you've been scouring the interweb before news, the latest updates. What have you got in the segment we call? The news.
1: Well, uh, I mean, we, we were really, really... We were. Well, we we, we
0: should be patting ourselves on the back as we speak. So
1: last week, literally two hours after we'd finished recording, the news confirmed, which we'd speculated on, which was that Warner Brothers would be shifting all of their big hits for next year to HBO Max for four weeks from the same date as they go to cinemas.
0: Well, What's that like? That-
1: well... Once that news dropped, the internet exploded.
0: Yes, and, and some filmmakers, from what I've been led to believe, have exploded as well. We'll get to the professional
1: industry side of it a bit later down, but I'll start off with like all critics, commenters and film fans were very, very vocal about this as soon as the announcement was made. And Warner Brothers were under severe attack for bringing about, and I quote, the death of cinema. Or, as one critic uh, threw out, they're throwing cinemas out to sea. Now, are they really throwing cinemas out to sea? Disney had already thrown us into the ocean. Warners, if anything, have given us a life raft and got us closer to shore because we have to remember that Disney moved their stuff to streaming. They moved Mulan, they moved Seoul, and they refused to let cinemas show it. The key thing with what Warners are doing is they're letting cinemas also show their films at the same time
0: now we don't get hbo max in the uk so where does that leave us are we going to be joining up with with uh, uh sky movies or to do a special premiere where does that leave the rest of the world because we we know from from the current situation in the states it's going to take an awful long time for them the size that they are to get over the the covid Problems. I mean, they've had the highest death rates, and I don't want to get into the politics of it, but they've had a huge amount of death rates. Um, the entertainment is, industry has is been crippled. Cinemas have been crippled. But where does that leave the rest of us, who are, who are on the re- road to somewhat of a recovery, so it seems?
1: Well, we know from what's happening with Wonder Woman 84 that the short-term idea is that they get released just in the cinemas in the UK, etc. One week early... So that way it discourages, the because no doubt as soon as it's on HBO Max, it'll be on all illegal streaming sites as soon as it's finished showing. So in order to combat the potential piracy, the places that don't have HBO Max get it early. And I'd suspect we might see one or two of the films have that same kind of release system. I know that Warner Brothers have said that they are working on a way to distribute it internationally. Uh, which might be with existing deals like with Sky, or it might be in setting up their own streaming channels internationally. Who knows at this point in time? They've not given any details. For the time being, cinemas worldwide, except for in the US, get it exclusively. In the US, cinemas get it at the same time as it drops on HBO Max. Now, I saw one critic state that they will now refuse to promote any Warner Brothers films as a result, as they refuse to support a distributor who's turning their back on cinemas. This critic, two days later, was speaking about how majestic Soul is because they got their screen a copy through and started plugging and promoting that, dropping on Disney Plus later this year, which I can't help. There's a slight bit of hypocrisy there.
0: The big H word that we like to drop in.
1: That This is the reaction that I'm seeing from people who don't work within the industry. And this is the key thing. This is outside commentators and critics who, you know, they don't pay for cinema anyway.
0: Yeah. Yet yeah. All
1: of a sudden, they're saying that they're hugely promotion promoting cinemas. This one who says they're not going to promote the Warner Brothers films as a result. So, despite the fact the cinemas are going to show them, they're not going to promote them. So, they're not going to tell people to go to the cinema to watch these big films.
0: But what we do know, Andy, is, is the move was was a bit of a hasty one from 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 the studio. Yes. That they there was only cursory discussions with some leading filmmakers uh, behind some of the biggest biggest films that were that were due. Backed by some of the biggest agencies, and also um, that seemed to have rankled. That announcement has rankled a lot of lot of creatives who had uh, movies coming out.
1: Directors such as James Gunn and Danny Villeneuve have expressed their displeasure with the move. The main issue being the fact that they weren't involved in any of the communications or involved in any of the decision being made. They don't necessarily disagree with the decision. They are just not happy with the way it's been thrust on them. And now they have to renegotiate any any payments that will be outstanding. So any of them who've took a percentage box office deal term now has to be renegotiated.
0: Yeah. See, this has alienated the big Warner's financial uh, uh, partner, which is legendary, which which was going to release June was going to release uh, Godzilla versus Kong. You know yeah. that that's a it's a big financing company. Apparently, they are really unhappy with the deal.
1: They're seeking a lawsuit against Warner Brothers over it. And again, it's not because of how the deal is going to play out. It's about the fact that they were not involved. And with Legendary, they've, they've invested 70% on the production costs of these big films. So why were they not given at least a 70% contribution towards the discussions? Yeah, They were just completely Warner Brothers themselves just made this decision and they've made it clearly because they're, they're optimistic about how Wonder Woman 84 has gone. We said last week that it would be surprising if they announced anything before Wonder Woman comes out. But clearly the confidence that this is the way it's got to be. And it's, it's important to state that Warner Brothers has stated this is just a short term thing for next year because the situation isn't going to get better anytime soon and in America in particular studies and research on audiences wanting to return back to cinemas shows that over 68 percent of people don't feel that they'll be going back to the cinema next year and this is why we made the decision for 2021.
0: Now however tenor director uh, Christopher Nolan basically pulled the pin out of the napalm bomb and threw it into the room uh, and basically said some of our industry biggest filmmakers and most importantly movie stars went to bed last night uh, thinking they were working for the greatest movie studio and woke up to find out they were working for the worst streaming service.
1: I mean, that's harsh. I mean, he's clearly never been on Amazon prime because that's the worst (laughs) streaming service. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's a discussion for another day, isn't it? That one.
1: (laughs) Um, but no, yeah he if you read his full conversation that he had about it there's a lot of you know he, again he's talking about the tenant experience and how the wrong lessons were learned and whilst he's that warner's is kind of taking his last discussion on the lessons that should be learned and adapting that his disgruntlement again is the fact that no one was involved in these discussions yeah and he now feels betrayed by the studio that he's propped and supported
0: with some of the biggest films for the last, uh, definitely the last 10 years.
1: Yeah. I mean, he went on to say that he's certain that cinemas will return and that post-pandemic people will still want the big screen experience. He doesn't feel that this is the death of cinema that loads of people are trying to make out. And it's not. I mean, all the people who I know who work within cinemas, who've been commenting on this online, we're all of the same opinion. You know what? We're fine. I had a, I, I had a, Debate with someone on Twitter yesterday who clearly hadn't twigged that I work in a cinema or was just blatantly ignoring it because he's trying to tell me how the cinema industry works. It's like, mate, I've worked (laughs) it for twenty years. Cinemas will have a short-term loss, but cinemas can operate taking thirty percent of their usual annual business. They can still stay profitable. We don't need sold-out screens. We just need some people coming back. Tenet did really well for the cinemas, even though we were showing at forty percent capacities. So. We are fine with this short term measure of streaming and cinema working side by side because we don't see it as a competition. We still believe that people want to see things on the big screen. And the fact that so many people are so negative about Warner Brothers shows there's a huge amount of people who want to see things on the big screen, but they're all missing the fact that Warner Brothers are letting cinemas show these films, whilst Disney don't. Disney Just cut the cinemas out of the equation completely. And Disney, importantly, have got, um, isn't it in two days' time, they've got one of their, like, this is our slates over the next couple of years. Yeah, that's right. Anyone who's trying to defend Disney at this point in time, because, you know, everyone loves Mandalorian and isn't baby Yoda cute, needs to wait a few days and see what Disney's response to this is. Because if they suddenly drop some of their films next year, there's going to be a lot of people eating their words who've turned around to me and said that Warner Brothers aren't helping cinemas, whereas Disney are
0: but we know that that it has been tough for for the industry and but we know that money can once uh, that uh, um can bomb a lot of a lot of wounds and let's look at and I kind of I'm, I'm kind of feeling I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit but we you know we're looking at patty jenkins and and galgado having a good payout uh for for some of the back end they would have got Uh, For Wonder Woman.
1: The, The money that's going to get thrown out for the payments to pay off all these directors and the artists who are involved in it and the writers. You know, loads of people within production of each of these films takes percentage deals these days. Yeah. And so there's going to be a lot of payouts and this could sting Warner Brothers in a huge way. They're not going to make back the amount of money that they would normally get in a year. But 2021 is not... Everyone seems to think that as soon as it rolls over to January the 1st, everything's going to be bright and sunshine and everything's going to be fine. It's not. It's going to be... The whole of next year, we're still going to be seeing the repercussions of COVID. And we're still going to see lower box office returns. And this is Warner's basically saying, rather than cancelling this release or putting this back another three months and then another three months and then another three months, we're going to stick to these dates. But it's coming out on streaming as well as cinemas. Importantly, they're sticking to the dates. So cinemas now, now know, a month before Godzilla vs. Kong Com comes out, you know what? We can open and build up to that and that will still do us enough business to keep us going. What's killed cinemas over the past couple of months is that we all opened for Tenet and then Disney moved all of their products off the slate, uh, particularly Mulan straight to their streaming service and took it. wouldn't even let us Shall it. We? we asked, they wouldn't let us. Bond was moved, everything moved and so there was nothing coming out. And that's what's been killing cinemas, the fact that there's been no releases. Warner Brothers have now basically told us that over the next year, there's going to be 19 films coming out. These are the dates. That needs to be focused on a bit more than the negativity, I think, because cinemas now have something to work
0: towards. Okay, let's uh, let's move on from Warner's because I don't think this is going to be the last time that we... Uh... We talk about this particular subject
1: it certainly won't it's still getting spoken about online today and yeah i'm sure on the next episode we'll have some more updates on feedback from more people within the industry and we'll also have marvel's uh, disney and marvel's response with what they announce in the next couple of days
0: it's uh it's an ever-moving landscape as they say and talking of ever-moving landscapes what are the news do you have for us andy
1: Okay, let's get into actual film production. So, well, let's start with a film that's actually out and has got some backlash in China, and that's Monster Hunter.
0: Where did it all go wrong for Monster Hunter?
1: <laughs> well, initially, it was, uh, it was a Paul W.S. Anderson film. But <laughs> 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 but no, you, you know I've got some love for his films and his sorts of nonsense, and this has gone wrong because of a, one line of content in the film which is racially insensitive.
0: Just uh, jumping in there, Andy, this is a film that they knew was going to get a China release.
1: Oh, it was a key part of their marketing because the game Monster Hunter is very big in the Chinese market. And so this was like, Chinese market is going to give us a load of money on this film. Excellent. So it got released and within two days, the film was pulled across the whole country because there's a rap in there, which is like one of the characters comes out with, which refers to Knee's being Chinese, which you have to admit is a tad too close to a playground taunts that has been used throughout the past to mock Chinese pupils. The backlash of this not only means that once that bit's edited out the film and it's re-released, it's probably not going to do anything because everyone's completely against this film. We saw what happened with Mulan. Yes, we did. We saw that that should have done better in China, but because of the political aspects around um, the vocal issues that the lead actress was talking about, it killed the film. Well, the Chinese the Chinese aren't easily forgiving when it comes to something that has upset them when it comes to a film. This film's dead in China now. But it also risks impacting the game series that the film is drawn from. Oh,
0: right. I never even thought about it. I never considered that as being part of it.
1: Yeah, Jovovich's character was due to be a character in the next game. And they've been doing a lot of like marketing around like, oh, yeah, well, you know, people have been saying the film isn't linked to the game, but we're going to kind of link it in and bring the characters across. And that could damage... The marketability of the game within China now—it's
0: crazy. <laughs> it's crazy, and um, it all could have been um, all could have been sorted out in advance with just a little bit of forethought on it. So we we can't go through a week without um, any MCU news, um, and a bit of a a bit of a biggie over the last couple of weeks. And we we talked about the initial rumours of uh, uh, of Tobey Maguire rejoining. We talked about Jamie Foxx returning as Electro, but now it also seems Alfred Molina is to reprise his role in probably the best of all the Marvel films for me. Uh, Spider-Man 2's Dr. Otto Octavius, Doc Ock, as we like to call him, who were very close in many ways to him. (laughs) I don't know where I went with that one.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. This news landed literally within the past two days, and... I'm excited about Alfred Molina popping up, definitely. Oh, he was fantastic in it. He marvellous as Doc Ock. He had such such heart and soul. It, it was one of those classic villains that Raimi worked so well on the screen to make you actually empathise slightly with their plight whilst they're still a villain. And he was so well represented. And yeah, it's great to see him return in what is definitely becoming a Spider-Verse film. There's also talks that Kirsten Dunst has been confirmed to return. Yeah, As is Andrew Garfield. And also, apparently, Toby Maguire is close to signing, but he's negotiating the pay deal. And Emma Stone is also close to start signing. So this is basically a whole... This is every version of the Spider-Man franchise since Raimi started them off, all coming together in some way, shape or form.
0: We've we mentioned this before. This kind of tames... The proposed uh, Flash movie, doesn't it? That, um, that that DC were planning, which was a similar sort of multiverse storyline, returning Batman. Uh, Michael Keaton had, had signed on to it, so it's it's going to sort of lessen the impact of that Flash film if it ever gets made, because it's been put on and put off, and, and apparently it was supposed to be starting production. We do know that the third Sony Marvel MCU Spider Man is in production, actually started filming. So it doesn't look like The Flash can, in this case, catch up. See what I did yeah. there?
1: I saw what you did there.
0: Yeah, that was it was very subtle. Slight, very subtle.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is a shame in a way, because I'm, I'm quite looking forward to The Flash movie, The Flashpoint movie, to see how they kind of use it as a soft reboot for the DC Universe and throw in these elements. But yeah, the impact will have been lost. I mean, you could say the impact's already been lost anyway, because we've had a Spider-Verse movie itself yeah. with Into the Spider-Verse. This is just basically taking that idea and running with it. And it's also tying into the uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness.
0: Yeah, which ties into um, the Scarlet Witch.
1: This is clearly the whole next phase of Marvel is all the multiverse. And it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of their other projects start to step over into other dimensions. But I I have to say that I, I have some worries that this might have too many characters and not quite work as a whole. I've thought that the Tom Holland Spider-Man films so far have been okay.
0: Yeah, it's been saved by Tom Holland, if if anything.
1: Yeah, he's been great. The films themselves haven't.
0: Yeah, I'll agree with you. I'll, I'll go with that.
1: And because they're not really strong films to me at this point in time, this is a worry that it's going to throw too much into an unstable franchise. I'll wait to see. But I can't help but get excited because seeing some of these names pop up within the MCU as little, even if it's just a little throwaway one scene, I don't care. It's nice to have that link to it. And latest rumour is that uh, young actor Tom Holland might also appear in this thing.
0: <laughs> well, let's hope so, eh? Because um, we couldn't really do it without him now, can we? Even though there are two other actors waiting to jump in. So it's been a rumour for absolutely forever. Uh, and We fell foul of it. Um, some time back when we mentioned that Charlie Cox it was reported returning to his role as Matt Murdock Daredevil in Spider-Man 3. Well, now it seems that that's becoming uh, more of a thing. We don't know yet, but rumor has it uh, it's been set in stone for, for several months now uh that matt will be peter parker's lawyer i would love to see uh see him return i thought he was it was fantastic he is the definitive daredevil i know you've only got two other actors to work against but i hope so but at this stage it is only a rumor and the relationship that marvel's uh the mcu in particular has had with its uh, uh television properties has, has been loose at uh, uh, best but I, I did think the defenders was good i i, I love jessica jones and I really did enjoy Daredevil. I I, I like Luke Cage. There was only um, only Iron Fist that that didn't really land. Um, I enjoyed The Punisher. I'd love to see those actors reprise those role with with a budget that would establish them as part of the MCU as well.
1: Anyway, uh, I believe that you've also got some news on other Marvel casting. Yes, I've got
0: some other Marvel news. Ant Man three is uh, is aiming to start shooting in, in spring of next year. And Michelle Pfeiffer is back in the cast as uh, Janet Van Dyne, the current Wasp's mother. Um, other than that, we know very, very little about it, apart from the rumor that it is going to be Kang the Conqueror as the um, as the main villain.
1: Oh, I like that. I like the idea of Kang being introduced. I, lo- I mean, again, we're going to- we're going for time jumping and alternate realities, so uh, it- it's all tying together. But I, I've got I've got a lot of love for the Ant Man franchise. Yeah, I me love too. The simple heist movie kind of aspects that they take. Yeah, I think there's a charm to them, and yeah, as some people look at them as the lesser of the Marvel franchise. I actually, I think there's some of the, the highlights of the past few years.
0: There's also talk about casting for Kang that we we mentioned a few weeks ago that it was uh, uh, Lovecraft uh, Country's Jonathan Majors in uh, yeah. playing that. But as you know, Marvel they'll they'll never say definitively as they haven't done with with She-Hulk at the moment. So we'll see. All these things are are, are a done deal when it's a done deal.
1: Possibly some of these might get announced within the next couple of days when they have that Disney Statement Day. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Vaughan is planning seven more Kingsman films.
0: My my first question to that is why, really, because I enjoyed the first one. I thought the second one was uh, uh, all over the place, didn't know what kind of tone it it wanted to do. Ended up pastiching itself, which is never a good sign because it makes me feel as though they've they've run out of ideas.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've got no idea why. The third film's not even out yet, the prequel, The King's Man. But Marv Group CEO Ziggy Kamasa has recently been hired to run the Marv banner handling the commercial operations so that Matthew Vaughan can focus on the production aspects. And he's revealed that they have a Kingsman TV series in the works, but there's also two two to three other franchises being developed alongside the Kingsman world for a potential seven-film run. I don't know. I mean, do we really need the Kingsman being the next Fast and the Furious? We didn't even need the Fast and the Furious <laughs> being the Fast and the Furious.
0: I just don't think it's finding, well, certainly the second film, it's just not finding the big audience. It did, from from memory, reasonably well, but yeah. It, it was it was a definite step down from the first one. I'd like to see Matthew Vaughan do something else. I thought he'd have been a great director for Star Wars, and I think you and I talked about that when they were looking at, at the announcing uh, the director. It turned out to be J.J.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think he would have been a great choice. And it wasn't just me and you. There was a few of us who all agreed that he would have been a marvellous choice when he was being courted and rumoured to be part of it. Shame that we never get to see it. Although, we say Never. About Star Wars TV projects going on, there's a possibility we might see them get involved never so know. somewhere down the line. Uh, sticking with spies, and Gal Gadot has signed an eight-figure deal to head up a spy thriller called Heart of Stone, which Skydance Media see as a potential franchise starter for them.
0: It's been muted for for forever that we were going to have a a female kind of James Bond. It's it never really it's never really worked. There was talk about a, a Modesty Blaze series of films at some point, but it's let's hope you know the time's right and I, it's funny enough i've been discussing this uh recently um with regards to black panther you know for a long time um, the idea of a uh, of an all african-american cast uh leading a, a comic book franchise wouldn't have been thought about i remember when they tried to do black panther 20 odd years ago uh, it wouldn't have had the cultural phenomena that that it that it be, that it eventually became. So I think that you know times are changing, and you know there's been talk that many times of, of a female spy series. Let's hope we see one, and you know most importantly, let's hope it's good.
1: Yeah, uh, Tom Harper is set to direct, and the screenplay is by Greg Rucker, who um, wrote Old Guard. Oh, which, which we
0: did enjoy, and we liked Greg Rucker a lot. I've read uh, a lot of his books; um, great writer.
1: So there's there's some good names behind it. Fingers crossed. Gal Gadot is a great bit of casting. Yeah. I never had much time for her, but in the past few years, I've seen her really shine. And I, I think that she's a really good bit of casting for a spy film.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh,
1: other group of people who I've got a lot of time for, the directors of Ready or Not, who go by the encompassing name, Radio Silence. Matt Bettinelli-Olpin, Tyler Gillett, and Chad Villela. They're working once again with the writers of Ready or Not, Guy Busick and R. Christopher Murphy. On a high school horror movie called Reunion. What have these guys
0: done before then?
1: So Ready or Not was their breakout film uh, from last year, was it, or just at the back end of the year before, which was the hide and seek horror film, absolutely marvellous. And the, they've just finished wrapping on the new Scream
0: reboot. Right, that's where I knew the name from. I know we, I know we've discussed them incredibly recently.
1: Definitely a big like ones to watch at this point in time, particularly when it comes to horror with a touch of comedy to it, because Ready or Not was just so beautifully put together.
0: I remember you raving about it.
1: Well, this film will see a group of old friends gather back together for a high school reunion, and then they become the only hope for survival against a shape-shifting creature that's gatecrashed the school reunion.
0: And yet strangely apt.
1: <laughs> it, it sounds absolutely perfect. I, lo- I love the... I love their approach to films. I'm interested to see what they do with this. Another guy whose approach I love for films, Neil Blomkamp.
0: Yeah, who's been quiet for for such a long time. He was, um, his last major film. Chappie. Was, yeah, was the disappointing Chappie. Um, we were supposed to get an alien film from him. That, that looked and sounded uh, uh, fantastic. Um, yeah. So he's been quiet, but I know he's been doing some shorts as well, which are available on Amazon Prime.
1: I wasn't, That enamoured with Chappie when it came out, but I revisited it last year, and I actually found myself enjoying it a lot more without the expectations. I think it's because his previous films had just impressed me so much. It was hard to go into Chappie and not think, oh, this is just short circuit, isn't it?
0: Which is exactly what I thought it was, but with swearing.
1: Yeah, (laughs) sweary circuits. Well, he's joined the ranks of directors who've managed to keep themselves busy in secret during lockdown by actually making another film. Okay. Uh, There's no details on what the film actually is but he's all that we know is that it's a supernatural horror movie that he shot this summer in Canada's British Columbia and post production is currently being done with hopes for it to be finished early 2021 and get a release either on cinemas or to a streaming network not so, not too soon after, but it, we're getting a lot of this now, where directors just suddenly turn around and says, "Oh yeah, during lockdown, I've just made a film."
0: You know, it's it's because filmmaking is is has become a, 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 to to do stuff which is which is fast and, and especially genre, it's become so cheap now, and and I don't mean ridiculously cheap, but but there uh, with with a limited budget and uh, and, a, and a great deal of. Uh, creativity you can make you can make stuff you know in in ways that we couldn't do even 10 years ago because i last thing i I knew about blomkamp that he was going to make a a, a big budget action thriller called the inferno um but that was put on hold wasn't it that
1: fell by the wayside and is now pretty much in cancellation heaven
0: right Oh, well, I, I, anything he, he makes. I'm always interested to. I think he's a he's a he is he does fit that term visionary filmmaker. You, it's worth checking out some of his shorts if you've not seen any.
1: And uh, let's round up the news with a couple of trailers. I know you've seen one trailer of something that we've been quite tickled about.
0: Yes, uh, Shadow in the Cloud. Um, the teasers landed for that. Uh, Kickass star Chloe Grace Moretz, who so I think is is fantastic. Is basically doing a. World War II version of A Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Funny enough, we mentioned uh, Richard Matheson last week. Uh, we talked about this. It's written by Max Landis, who's not the most popular person in Hollywood. Story is a World War II action thriller focusing on a, a young flight officer played by Moretz who hitches a ride on a B 17 with a mission to escort a highly classified package to the plane's next destination. But that turns into a destructive gremlin intended on wreaking as much mayhem as as possible it looks okay it looks very b-movie-ish i i had higher expectations for it i'm not a fan of of max landis i think he's a little bit knowing but it's only a trailer and the reviews at the end of it saying this is is a good piece of entertainment so we'll wait and see what have you got
1: i've got cobra kai season three trailer that landed today. I still
0: have to see the rest of Cobra Kai.
1: Oh, well, yeah, you'll you'll definitely need to, just in time for this to drop in early January. It looks solid. I mean, the the, the show went from being a, was it a YouTube channel?
0: Yes, yeah, it started on YouTube.
1: And it's Netflix have picked it up and now are funding season three, and hopefully season four, five, six. I want this to go on forever. Well, this series will now bring back a couple of more of old characters that we glimpse glimpsed in the trailer. Kumiko Unchosen from Karate Kid 2, with the original actors once again playing the pair. And back in the US, the Cobra Kai Academy is back under its original ownership. And Danny and Johnny appear to be forming some kind of alliance to fight for your honor. Sorry, I had to um, throw in a (laughs) bit of singing there.
0: Please (laughs) don't. Really don't feel you need to. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it looks like it's really going it, to, It look. I mean, usually a show like this, which reboots something from the past, does okay for the first season, meanders a bit on the second season, doesn't know what it's doing, and then loses the plot on the third one. This looks like it's growing and growing. Second season of Cobra Kai was even better than the first season, and this, I just cannot wait. So Cobra Kai season three, it's been a long time coming, but boy, I, oh, it's something to look forward to in 2021. And
0: we do look forward to, to 2021, and that's it for the news hope you're enjoying the show we enjoy doing it Uh, in fact it's a gas uh, jumping jack flash and um, (laughs) if you like it as much as we like to produce it then you just should hit that subscribe button and and not have to worry it will just pop up uh, every time we release an episode so hit the subscribe button and leave us a review because we do like a darn good review. But you want to leave a comment, you can do that as well. You can do so on
1: Twitter at FilmfileUK.
0: And find us on Instagram because every week we release new posters based around what the show's looking like. Okay, so as you know, if you're a firm Filmfile fan, then you'll know of the last few weeks, well, months now, 2020 in fact, that Andy has been uh, trolling away through all the movies that he missed that are Oscar winners in a segment that we call Andy's Movies That He Missed Oscar Winners, which again, we still need to work on. But last week, we picked the year 2005, and that film was Ron Howard's Cinderella Man. He's old, he's arthritic. Based on the true story. I'm sorry, Jimmy. It's over. Just get me into the fight. When a man needed a second chance. He said, I'm through. There can't be a box no more. His family. I'm always behind you. Gave him the courage to defy the odds. I got you a fight. From director Ron Howard. I
1: see what I'm seeing! Where the hell did that come from?
0: And producer Brian Grazer. I say the paper's getting all sorts of letters from people saying you're their inspiration. Sometimes you see something in a fighter. You don't even know if it's real. You beat this guy easy last time. Yeah, the same guy. Russell Crowe. You're be the next champ, Jimmy. Max Bears killed two men in the ring. Are you scared for your husband's life? Renee Zellweger. What's worth it, Jimmy?
1: What's worth
0: it? I have to believe that things are bad that we can change do them. Don't you let him take this away from your kids. What a fight! Unbelievable! Cinderella Man. Released in 2005, Cinderella Man is a biographical sports drama film titled after the nickname of World Heavyweight Boxing Champion, James J. Braddock. And inspired by his life story. Russell Crowe starred as the Cinderella Man, Renny Zellweger and Paul Giamatti also star. Andy, I know it's not particularly your genre, the biographical sports drama, but what did you think to Ron Howard's Cinderella Man? So,
1: at 144 minutes runtime, this film sadly seems stretched a bit thin as a result. Great Depression backdrop for the real-life tale of rags to riches, Russell Crowe, like you say, as the lead character, James J. Braddock, who's a humble and honest Irish-American boxer. It allows enough for a drama, but there's also too liberal a sprinkling of melodrama within the film. And as beautifully shot it is, it runs dangerously close to being a TV movie of the week status. And I find this a lot with Ron Howard films, that he could maybe do with spending a bit longer in the editing to shave off any unnecessary flack that's connected to the film. This could have been a much better film if it was just trimmed slightly because there was a point at the film that I'd started to lose interest. And it's not because of the casting. The casting are great. I do find myself still having an issue with Renée Zellweger. I just don't get her. I struggle to care one jot about her characters in a lot of films.
0: I'm exactly the same. I don't know what it is. I, the only thing that I ever really, really liked to him was Jerry Maguire.
1: Yeah, she's... She, just, I mean, her accent in this is supposed to be a, a New Jersey kind of accent, and it just comes across terrible. And I, f- I find this with her that she can't do accents. Um, however, Paul Giamatti, was up, who was up for supporting ask, actor at the Oscars and also won the Critics' Choice and SAG Award uh, for, for support, is as engaging in this film as he always is. Do you remember there was a time when the industry seemed determined to make him a lead actor? Yeah,
0: yeah, I do. And um, he, he's not. He's not.
1: Support roles like this are where he really shines. He's a character actor. And when he gets given a support role, he really, really gets into it.
0: So if you've not seen it, the plots is a very, very simple uh rags to riches to rags story, really. Uh, back to riches. As you said, um, Russell Crowe plays James J. Braddock, an, Amerish, uh, an Irish-American boxer. He's from New Jersey, as you said. Uh, he breaks his hand in the ring and this is a, both a relief and a burden to his wife, May, Renny Zellweger. She can't bring herself to watch the violent in this uh, in his chosen profession. Um, and then the, the U.S. entered into the Great Depression and Braddock does manual labour as a, as a longshoreman to support his family, even with the injured hand. He cannot get work every day and thanks to last-minute cancellation by another boxer, Braddock starts on his climb back into the ring literally and figuratively at the same time. Uh, and this was the, the theme behind the uh, the Cinderella story, and this is why it was called The Cinderella Man.
1: It's not a bad film. It, I think the biggest problem with this film is that there's a legacy of very similar films that far outshine it, from the fictional to the biographical. And whilst this is a true story, or at least inspired by and takes a lot of the true story to show like, real-life events, We've seen it all before. Yeah. There's nothing really to surprise us. And it's very cliche and formulaic. Directing wise, the boxing fights are really well done. I love the little touches of the little miniature x ray shots, little, little single frames of an x ray shot when yeah. a bone breaks. And that was like, whoa, jarring. And that was something that was slightly different. But overall, even the backstory outside the ring just feels too similar. And I mean, I know it's based on someone's life and you can't blame him for having that kind of life that's too similar to things like rocky raging bull etc but it doesn't really engage as not as much because we've seen it before and like i say there's bits that could be lost paddy considine's in this film although it's a blink and you'll miss it it's just, sorely
0: underused i was about to say i don't remember paddy considine being in the film but but you're right he he, he was in it and um uh, I, and I have no memory of where he where he appeared, where and I've seen the film.
1: His role in the film is so scant that any impact of the character's sub story is lost. So it's either something that suffered in the edit, and the sh- he should have been on screen more, or maybe shouldn't have been in there at all. Because there's a moment in the film when he's referred to as being a close friend of uh, James J. Braddock, and it's like he it didn't seem that close. <laughs> they didn't. It didn't seem like they hardly knew each other for most of the film. And there's bits like bits like that. It, it seems like. Ron Howard just tried to include as many things as he could and just didn't know where to stop. It's a good film, it's worth seeing. It just, it's is... not...
0: sorry, sorry, Andy. I was just about to say, it just does hit all that those the sports movie tropes doesn't it of of uh, yeah. of the underdog story and and you're right it, it, it is a good film there's not not much you can complain about it's it's evocative of the of a sense of time and place it's gritty in the right areas and the performances are solid all the way through it's just not particularly impressive
1: yeah it's just it's not a film that i'm fancy wasting any more time in the ring for for a second round it's just feels okay it's done now it's out the way i can move on
0: on that pun i'm going to move on to uh give you your next year uh, and uh, and let's see what you've missed from the year 2015 probably the, the closest we've been during any time we've done uh, uh done this particular segment 2015 a couple of movies spring to mind let's have a think Okay, to, to keep in mind that it's been uh, uh, been a fantastic run on TV, and you've talked about it every week, Small Access, let's look at 2015's uh, Selma as your film to watch and review for next week.
1: When you get into like the past 10 years' worth of films as well, there's only a few films from each year from the main categories of the Oscars that I've not seen, because I'd started to get into the habit of trying to watch everything.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm exactly the same, yeah.
1: And so now we're looking like into some of the writing categories, etc. But this was one that was quite glaringly apparent as being one red mark in a sea of green for this year. <laughs> so this will be, be more or less clearing off everything except for the documentaries for this year.
0: Indeed. Okay, so we haven't been able to get into a cinema. We've not been able to review anything on the big screen. But there's been an awful lot worth seeing on the much smaller screen, and that's across our streaming networks. There's a film that you and I both uh, were looking forward to seeing in the cinema. We should have seen it in the cinema, because I, I'm, I honestly believe that's the best place for it. Andy, we're going to talk about Mank, the new film from David Fincher that premiered on Netflix last week.
1: Mank. It's and wealth.
0: Of course it is. I think it's time we talk.
1: Ready and willing to hunt a great white whale?
0: You just call me Ahab. Tell the story you know. I hear you're hunting dangerous game. This is different. This is about something. I've put up with your suicidal drinking, your compulsive gambling, your silly
1: platonic affairs. I gave you a second
0: chance. How wealth and influence can crush a man. Are you hoping I might absolve you of such a personal betrayal? You made yourself court, Chester.
1: Nobody but nobody makes a monkey out of William Randolph Hearst!
0: You pick a fight with Willie. You are finished.
1: Mank. Mr. Mankiewicz.
0: So we were going to see this, weren't we, before uh, we entered into another lockdown? We were going to see a a cinema screening of it. I I really wish that's where I'd seen it because it's just a beautifully constructed and gorgeously sumptuous looking film. Uh, David Fincher's 11th film, and it's, it's his homage. To, to the movies, and in fact, the words on the screen are "the magic of the movies." This is um, his first film since since Gone Girl, and and I just wish I wish we could have seen it in its all its beautiful black and white glory.
1: Oh, it, this is a cinephile's movie
0: in every way, isn't it?
1: From, from start to finish, the look of it, the style of it, it it's made to look like it was made in the era. The choice of black and white in particular, but also like the lighting, the shadows. Some of the some of the locations look very stages. Yeah. Like, like like a set stage. And the sound, the sound mix felt like that era's sound mixing. It sounded like voices had been redubbed over. You had a slight echoey tint to them. Background sounds were, were very diminished and very different to what we're so used to. We're so used to this hyper real sound that we forget what the movie sound used to be like. And within the first 20 minutes, I was like, is the sound supposed to be like this? And then it was like, yes, clearly it is. It's supposed to represent the era that it's set in. I just think this this is a pure love letter to film. I mean, it, the story itself, which is...
0: I was just about to add in before you go into the story, did you notice cigarette burns in the top of the, top of the screen? Yes,
1: I got that in my notes here. You
0: know, this is a digital film, but there were cigarette then burns.
1: Every 20 minutes as well they were authentic. I was watching for them. (laughs) Everything is authentic to set it in the era. And the story, which is, uh, you need to take the story, which is presented with a touch of salt, because the authenticity of who actually wrote Citizen Kane has been widely disputed. And there's many, many books and articles covering it. But this film doesn't necessarily state categorically that Mankiewicz Wrote Citizen Kane.
0: Yeah, for, so for those who don't know the story, it, it's it's it is a Hollywood uh, love letter in in every sense to to an era. So a pariah in Hollywood, um, Herman J. Mank Mankiewicz, who's an alcoholic screenwriter, brilliantly played by Gary Oldman, who who's older than the character, so he plays it young. Uh, has has been um, asked to write the screenplay by the uh, by the new wonderkind, Orson Welles. Um, the script is a takedown of newspaper magnate William Randolph Hearst, uh, played by Charles Dance, that eventually becomes the film Citizen Kane, which, of, which is arguably one of the greatest films, if not the greatest film, ever made. Uh, it's got a fantastic cast. As we said, um, Gary Oldman is, is, is superb. A real standout for me was Amanda Seyfried, who was yes. just marvellous in it, uh, uh, um, there's there's one bit where she changes her accent between between uh, uh, in, in, during conversation where she becomes more uh, aware of uh, of that she can do that than, than the the performance of who she is as the character is. It, it's it's just an absolutely beautiful beautiful film, uh, originally written by Fincher's father Jack Fincher even before he made Alien Three, and it just it's just a film about the film and the politics and and media manipulation of. Of, of of a hollywood who knows that could can say gone by but uh definitely feels like a time and a place and this is not the first time this story has been told there was the ridley scott produced rko 128 wasn't it oh 28 well, no rk 281 named after uh, kane's production number but this feels as you say it feels authentic and uh it's just a joy of a film to watch for those who are interested in film, and I say for those interested in film, because I watched it with with my partner who didn't get it; she didn't know all the uh, all the backstory and all the the world of Citizen Kane, uh, and, and so a lot of it was was lost on it. So I had to pick it up and watch it again.
1: You mentioned, I mean, Gary Oldman plays someone who's twice, it was half his age, but I've, I've seen people criticise saying, why did he get someone in his sixties to play someone in his thirties? And the simple answer is. Go and look up to see what Herman Mankiewicz looked like, and you will see exactly why. Because of his life of drinking and exuberance, he was aging pretty rapidly. And so Oldman plays young, but not ridiculously young, because he's supposed to be playing someone who's like past his prime. Yes, but he's he is witty, he is sparkling, he is engaging. And he never takes away from the cast around him. You've already said Amanda Seyfried, who she's one of those actresses that I've never really,
0: never really seen
1: stand out. And in this, I agree, she's marvellous. She really, really just captivates. But then you've got Lily Collins, Tom Burke, everyone in the film is there and well-placed and all really engaging. This is a great film. It is. Like I say, I, I agree with you that It's a great film for people who are passionate about films. And this isn't something that I don't think think my wife would be that enamoured with it. But this is something that I identify every one of the little touches and the nuances that have been put into it to make it feel authentic for the era. And that's what I got from it. It's important to point out as well that you don't need to be a fan of Citizen Kane in order to appreciate this film.
0: I totally agree. That's on Netflix, and it is. If you're a fan of the film file, you will be a fan of Mank. Okay, I've had a, a couple of films that I've seen over the last few weeks. Andy, do you want to go first? <laughs> okay, because <laughs> I've, I've been waiting for this since you mentioned your other review.
1: So after watching Mank, I thought, how can I top that? So I watched Doolittle. Doctor Doolittle. You can talk to animals. Yes. Ah! What bird stuff can you do? Well, what bear stuff can you do?
0: You win this round. Hello, Barry. Hello, lunch.
1: That's got to hurt. Do it all.
0: Okay, you're, you're braver man than I. But i'm I'm a great believer because this film, you know, despite what everybody said about it and, it, and it got some horrific reviews, it did find an audience, didn't it? Especially in the UK.
1: Yeah, uh, this is this isn't the first time that do, the character of Doctor Doolittle has been brought to the screen. Rex Harrison played him beautifully in the musical adaptation from the mid part of last century.
0: I love that film. It's it, it's a film that was a box office huge box office disaster. Uh, yeah. It went way over budget, but I've got a, a, a love for that because I remember my parents taking me to see it uh, when I was a kid. I was really tiny. I
1: remember it being a regular, like, sometime during the summer holidays, one of the TV stations would show it as one of the morning films. And that's my introduction to it. Then we had a Eddie Murphy's... Um, Updated, yeah.
0: version, are we <laughs> Updated version.
1: Updated version. And this one goes back to being an author, a period piece kind of film with Robert Downey Jr., who was hugely behind it production wise. And why did I watch it? Well, like with you, I like to think that sometimes you need to give things a a chance. There's a lot of morbid curiosity about whether this film was as bad as reports suggested. And the film itself opens with an beautifully animated backstory about Dr. Doolittle and why he became the isolated person that he is, surrounded by animals. The animation for this section is a beautiful rotoscope style and it suggested to me that actually this film could be something more than what people have been telling me. And? I was drawn in. And then the main film began. And from that point onwards, it was a steady roll downhill. Um, Robert Downey Jr. is awful in this.
0: That's something you never ever, ever really hear in a sentence.
1: <laughs> oh, he's allegedly he's attempting a Welsh accent and I wasn't too sure on this. So I fired it out on Twitter to see if anyone knew what accent he was going for, because it, it sounded like Hollywood Irish at times. It sounded Scottish at others. He even slipped through Norfolk and Yorkshire at varying points in that accent. But someone reassured me, no, he was playing Welsh. <laughs> From that point onwards, I'd lost it. it. This is the kind of accent that makes Dick Van
0: Dyke chuckle with delight. Even Russell Crowe would have been impressed.
1: Oh, Russell Crowe would have been like, oh, oh not just Jesus, me. Never mock me again. <laughs> <laughs> um, I found myself so caught up in trying to work out where he was supposed to be from that I admit to losing sense of the plot at one point. I know that the plot involves he's looking for a plant to save the Queen, who's played embarrassingly by Jessie Buckley, who deserves so much better. Uh, she's been poisoned by obvious people around her or something. And the animals that accompany Doolittle on the adventure are voiced by a load of people who are lucky they weren't actually. Visiting On screen, (laughs) so they at least get to salvage some dignity. However, the unmistakable voice of Kumail Nanjiani was in there, and I recognised him straight away. And I despise him. I just don't get what's so good about him. And so every time that his character was talking, I hated it. He's just not funny, and he seemed like he was deliberately forced in there because hey, wasn't he in a really funny film about two years ago? So let's put him in there. At one point in the film, Antonio Banderas crops up as a bandit king, and all of a sudden. The film seemed to be going in a different direction and I perked up. He was magnificent, but he seemed to be in a completely different film. He's completely wasted in the film and I would pay good money to see a spin-off focusing just on his character. And once he was swiftly left behind, the film dove back down to mediocrity, resulting into the now famous bagpipes up a dragon's arse final scene with dragon farts that summed up the whole film. If you hate your kids, sit them down, put this film on for them and then find something else to do and leave them to it. It's Awful.
0: Well, I, I doubt I'll be I'll be uh, watching it based on that review. Um, you, you talk about it being all over the place. There was a, a lot of rumours going around that the film was restructured by the uh, by the studio. Uh, it wasn't the kind of the gross out comedy that it that it became, uh, and was was originally something else when it when it first started. Um, but there was a lot of a lot of studio interference with it from all I've heard. So you can tell
1: you can tell throughout it that there's a lot of meddling going on. There's there's no one there's no one direction that it's going in. There's no one idea. It is literally that everything gets thrown in for the sake of throwing things in.
0: Okay, so my film is a real was one of those films that that I really, really wish I'd seen uh on, on the big screen because I, I feel cheated having watched it on on the small screen. And I've got a big telly, so it, it should. It's, it's a film that demanded to be seen, surrounded by a, a multitude of uh, speakers uh, and the best screen that you could possibly see it on. And that film is First Man, directed by Damien Chazelle, written by Josh Singer, and starring Ryan Gosling as the first man on the moon, Neil Armstrong. This will be the first man mission to land on the moon. Neil, if his flight is successful, you'll go down in history. We're planning on the flight being successful. The entire world's watching. Five. Four, we need to fail down here so we don't fail up there. Three, we've got this under control. Two, you're a bunch of boys. You don't have anything under control. First man. This is the the story of Neil Armstrong and the build-up to the Apollo 11 mission in 1969. Steven Spielberg served as producer on it, and it is just beautiful. I, I love Damien Chazelle's work i i I adore la La land I think uh, uh whiplash is one of the best debut films that you can imagine. There's a confidence to his work it's it's arty and and yet it's beautiful and it's uh, it's engaging and even for a character as as portrayed by Gosling uh, uh, of Neil Armstrong who wasn't a particularly engaging person. he was a real button down didn't show emotion, almost reluctant hero. This film is is absolutely stunning. And this is this, I'm going to lead this into saying not only is this a great film, but what I am going to say is this is a reason why you've got to see films in the cinema first. Now, uh, we started watching it, uh, and I loved it within the first 10, 15 minutes. The, the stylization of the flights, there was no CGI in this film. It was all done using uh, digital backdrops. So there's a, a sense of, of, of realism that runs all the way through it. But 20 minutes into the film, the door knocks, and it was a, a, a Tesco delivery. And then the uh, the phone rang, and then I must have started this film three times yeah. to watch it. And that is what takes away from that, that cinematic experience. And to say that I still loved it, even though uh, I, um, I was interrupted with it, is... it is it testaments to say how good a film this is i'm just absolutely beautiful there's one sequence in particular which is the landing sequence which takes its time it doesn't rush it there's a sense of dread and anticipation and uh, and, and and you you think about what must have been going through these guys uh, guys heads they, they there was a point where they weren't expected to survive and come back uh, but it's it's beautiful with an amazing score that i've i've gone back and listened to the score because it, it oh. just it it just evoked uh, and, and I, I found myself getting almost uh emotional about it it's an absolutely beautiful film it didn't do well at the box office and maybe because it's it's slightly cold but it needs to be revisited uh, and that's first man and i cannot recommend it enough and i will put it down if it come out this year as one of my films of the year if not my film of the year
1: totally agree like you say there's the sense of dread on the landing even though we know how this Yeah, out.
0: It's like apollo 13 we <laughs> when we watched apollo 13 we all hold our breaths wondering if these guys are going to make it even though we know the reality of the story it's, it's that kind of it just that, that's the power of filmmaking absolutely and like,
1: i agree entirely about the you know, the similar experience is important, particularly with films like this, that it could be quite easy for something to distract you and make you lose your concentration, you are not go back to. I saw someone online the other day saying that they would never have watched The Irishman if they hadn't have seen it on the big screen. They had a chance to see it on the big screen, but it was one of those kind of films that if they had watched it at home, they'd have got half an hour in, paused it to go and do something and probably not gone back to it. Yeah, yeah. But they were glad that they were in that environment where you have to, you're locked in, aren't you, you have Andy? To watch it. There's too many. I mean, you get people saying, I don't like the cinema experience because everyone's on their phone. And then those people will sit at home, put a film on, and then straight away get their phone out and start tweeting. And it's like, so you are the person who would cause the distraction at the cinema. Yeah. Well, the cinema experience is all about the immersion into the film without anything else. Nothing's going to disturb you except for that person kicking the back of your seat. But you can get them kicked out. So I agree entirely. This is the kind of film that would benefit, not just because it's visually, it's a beautiful film. It is. And like you say, the soundtrack is amazing. But also because it's one of those kind of films that the distractions could easily prevent you from immersing yourself within it. Yeah. you lose out on a great, great experience.
0: Okay, so uh, those are our reviews. Any quick mentions of films that are coming up? I'd like to quickly mention uh, Overlord, which is a, a, a B-movie in every sense of the word. And if you like like your genres to be uh, shaken and stirred, then this is an absolutely perfect film for you. World War II but with uh, uh, scientifically improved zombies. What more can I say?
1: That's all that you need in life. Um, Over on BBC and BBC iPlayer and coming to Amazon the week after. Well, at the moment, we've got the latest small acts, which is Alex Wheatle, which is the true story of award-winning writer Alex Wheatle's turnaround. When, as a youth, he was raised in institutional care, He formed an identity in Brixton around the time of the riots, got arrested, and the film starts with him going into a cell, meeting his Rastafari um, cellmate, who sets his life on a different path and shows him that he can be more than what he thinks he is. And this is a great life lesson kind of film. For anyone who feels that they will never achieve anything, this is a great true story of how you can turn your life around. And this Sunday, we get the final one in the series, which is Education, which is about a 12-year-old boy and the unofficial segregation policy that denies children like him from the education they deserve. So it's going to be a hard-hitting final one. This has been a great series. They're all on iPlayer, and then for everyone else in the world, they go to Amazon.
0: Opening this week on Netflix is The Midnight Sky, directed by George Clooney. Set in the year 2049. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and the Earth is is basically done. It's over. Uh, so three weeks after a devastating global event that's left the planet basically uninhabitable, scientist Augustine Lofthouse, which is the best made-up name I've had in a long time, played by George Clooney, races to stop a team of astronauts from returning, thereby accidentally dooming the future of the species. And that opens this week.
1: Uh, also on Amazon this week, there's Girl with All the Gifts, which is a film that I've I've missed on an initial release, so I'll get a chance to watch it. And also a film that was supposed to be going to the cinemas this Christmas, but is now going straight to Amazon. Christmas Gift from Bob, which is a, a fictional spin-off from the street cat named Bob, which was about the homeless cat. And over on Sky, there's Little Women, which I will just refer to as Little whim, meh, because <laughs> that's what it, the whole film made me feel. It's not the best interpretation of the subject matter, but it is a beautifully shot and well-acted interpretation.
0: Okay. Well, that's it for this week. But before we go, we cover this every week. Uh, What have you been watching, Andy? What have you been listening to? What have you been enjoying? What is your neat thing for this week?
1: So my neat thing, we're going back to TV. We're over on Sky or Now TV. And it's a HBO Max production that we had our eye on when it was getting announced. And we've been waiting to immerse ourselves
0: in. And that's Raised by Wolves. This is the one directed by Ridley Scott or produced by Ridley Scott?
1: It it was created by him and then produced. And it's a captivating and well-played out sci-fi tale. It's set way in the future. After a war between atheists and religious armies, the Earth is abandoned for the stars. Ark ships are sent by the religious with occupants and suspended animation, but the atheists send smaller vessels that can travel faster, holding just androids and eggs to artificially grow new humans. It starts focusing on one family, raised by two androids as they crash land, set up their colony and manage to get six of the children birthed. And then by the time the Ark ship, first Ark ship arrives, only one of those children still remains. There's a clash in this film of faith versus non-faith, which is the initial seed of intrigue. But then the mother android appears to have previously locked out abilities that she starts to show that puts people in jeopardy. And the people who are coming from the Ark with faith may not be who they seem. Every episode layers a bit more intrigue and a bit more mystery in there and grows it. What starts off as looking like a simple, oh, well, this you know where this is going to go sci-fi. By the second episode, you're like, I've got no idea where this is going. But wow, I mean, this is great. Fully, fully recommend it.
0: Okay. Uh, well, as we approach the uh, Yuletide season, um, I, for one, am not, and, uh, and disappointingly so, not uh, venturing into into Shops. Or, or trying not to so I'm, I'm doing a lot of my shopping online and I know uh, a lot of the smaller uh, independents are, are going to miss out this year and, and my heart bleeds for them but there's some great online shopping especially if you're a film file and film fan and, and the best one that's out there is clearly last exit to nowhere uh, have you have you bought anything from these guys, Andy?
1: No, I. <laughs> Last I Exit to Nowhere are one of those retailers that I browse and peruse their stuff quite frequently, and then manage to convince myself not to spend money.
0: <laughs> They're great. So if you are if you're a geek as as you should be if you're listening to this show, they they produce a range of apparel which uh, where the designs are inspired. Pay homage to some of the most memorable films and and corporations that exist within films. I have a a Quince Shark fishing t shirt and an and Enter the Dragon t shirt, which talks about the tournament. So they do really clever designs around uh, around either organisations. So for instance, if you're uh, an Alien fan, the the uh, mysterious company behind. Um, the, the space travel as a as its logo em- embedded um, they're, they're just really really fun as a brand and they just do just take very very clever ideas and and, and make fantastic looking garments that and sometimes if you don't know their film you just uh, they're, they're film inspired you just think they're great looking t-shirts but the fact that you know and people are doing catch-up makes it even better they're inspiring and they are fantastic. And I wish they'd sponsor us because they're that good. So um, my neat thing over the last week has been uh, Last Exit to Nowhere, where you can find them on nowhere.com. And that's it, Andy. Uh, we'll be back next week. The week after is going to be a Christmas-related show. Um, in the meantime, look after yourself, my friend. And you, man. And we'll look forward to doing this one day in the flesh. But I don't know what space exploration will uncover, but I don't think it'll be exploration just for the sake of exploration.